Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Got one on stage 12, and now Patrick Conrad has one on stage 16. No effect, though, on the GC overall. Well, they, David, um, we have literally just finished commentating minutes ago, and this is um, this is this is almost like got a live, fresh feeling to it, hasn't it? But first of all, we owe our podcast listeners an apology, don't we? Because we said we'd do one yesterday on the rest day, but we were tired. We were quite tired, and I like the way you use the word fresh. Yeah, it's not fresh at all. It's not is fresh it? because we're dealing with how many stages with lone wins, oh. solo wins. So Five. we should probably explain that. Yeah. So shall I just recount them? But yeah, then you tell it. you explain why it is that they're such an ordeal for a commentary team. I will. Um, it started with... I have to put my specs on again. Again. Hold on. It started with stage seven and Matej Moric, then stage eight, Dylan Turns, stage nine, Ben O'Connor. Then it went stage 12, Niels Pollitt, stage 14, Balka Molima, stage 15, this is three in a row, by the way, Balka Molima, stage 15, Sepkus, and today, stage 16, Patrick Conrad. What? That sounds easy enough. Why is that so hard? Well, I suppose for the listeners, you'd think that that would make for easy commentary and simple, but actually it's much harder because you spend the majority of the time telling the same story over and over and over again. And sometimes you have writers that you know numerous anecdotes about that tangent off into different things, but more often than not, there aren't. And it becomes uh, like watching paint dry for us. I think the viewers, our job is to make it look like wet paint and still people painting rather than standing, <laughs> sitting watching a wall paint the dry, the dry, I can't even talk anymore. <laughs> But yeah, but I mean, I think that's it. It's just because normally the race, that means the action's done. So you're not so much talking about the action of the race. You're narrating. You're narrating a, a one person riding their bike. Yeah. And and then it gets, but then also it can get complicated because sometimes you can then have a GC race start to kick off behind. Which kind of almost happened today. Uh, almost yeah. And then the cameras, the director will start skipping between them. Yeah. So you're going from exciting racing, if you're lucky, with the stuff going on behind to back to the paint drying. Yeah, and that's no dissing because it's obviously magnificent if you can win on your own, but it's um it's quite difficult to keep the viewer engaged. What, what we're doing is moaning about our job, really, are we? Because it's got to stage sixty, we start to moan about our job. Week three, it's got the week but three vibes. We've probably talked about this before, but if we haven't, if we have, don't care. Just say it again. Yeah, feels a bit of podcast time. Do it. Um, well, what 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 was. What's really interesting about commentating is when you first start to do it, particularly for me, I suppose, as the lead commentator, the thing that you dread most is the bunch sprint. Yeah. Which are tricky at first, and they can still be tricky now um, because of well, just the chaos. In our first Grand Tour we did together, the Volta Espana, we had to go back and do them a few oh, times yeah. because we kept getting them wrong. <laughs> and that was a highlight show so we could re-record. And also that was a Volta Espana, so there's lots of riders you don't know. Yeah. So that was very complicated. Didn't do it that often. A few times. Three or four, maybe. 
but I, don't know, I remember the stage Buani one. Yeah. I kind of got Buani's name out, but I think the rest of the previous 700 meters is total gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so. But I that's mean, a, in a weird way, that's become kind of almost for both of us, like, because you, you get heavily involved in the last sort of 600 meters mm. and then maybe hand up. But it's kind of become second nature to us a bit. And, yeah. and, and funnily enough, at the Tour de France, there's no easier peloton to commentate on because it's, it's the Harlem Globetrotters of cycling. Because it's like all the sprinters are very well known yeah. and you kind of know all about them. Um, it's predictable, but yet, yet in a in an exciting way. And the race carries your words with the, with it all the way to the line. Yeah. And so, you know, you know that mm. at some point, very soon, you're going to be shouting one name. Quite but, often what happens after you've shouted that name is quite important. You know, you've got to get that bit right because mm. you've got to sum up the particular context and emotion of yeah. that particular win. Well, that's interesting know. for listeners to understand as well. My job as co-commentator is I kind of always hand over to you with a K to go or 800 meters to go, yeah. sometimes six, depending on the stage. And then you bring the rider home and bring the emotional engagement yeah, and the story. And kind of that's, that's your job is to, to kind of give that highlight bit. That's why in all the highlight show, it's majority you or in the, the kind of the highlight reels, it's all the action packed bits because that's when you take over. I, 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 mean, yeah. I, cross over, I cross over during the race, but, but not the finish. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> which is good because sometimes I'll hand over to you and my favorite of this remains. It was Sepp Kuss as well at the Criterion de Dauphine. Oh, what? Yeah. So he, he'd attacks in the final climb this. and he comes onto the runway. The, the uphill headwind runway. Oh, yeah. Sepp Kuss, wasn't it? Yeah. So you started uphill with like 800 meters. <laughs> with like a kilometer to go, 800 meters. Started doing your kind of all your prepared notes on Sepp Kuss and the kind of the backstory and the emotional build-up. And then you, I, could, I, could, I, could, I could hear it, and I was just looking. The, the meters go by, and it was like, Ned, <laughs> you got to slow this down because he's going really slow. And you got to like 500 meters to go, and I could see you <laughs> running out of stuff to say. That oh, uh, was brilliant, yeah. and, I, and I was totally happy to leave you because you got that. That's yeah. it, this is your show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Equally, like, I tried to like. Was it, was it Cavendish's last victory where last bunch of sprint we had where I kind of threw you a bit of a spanner and brought you in with about oh yeah kind of brought you in with about 250 metres to go well, David <laughs> that caught me off guard because I had about you... 75 metres to speak before you had to take it across the line <laughs> But what's really worrying is you did it really well. Oh. And also, on the last time we did the podcast, your lead commentary on our commute had me, to be honest, rattled, professionally rattled. Because <laughs> you've always denied that you could do the job. Uh. And it turns out you're really good at it. Okay, back on, just coming by Bearstead train station on the left, going into a heavy wooded section. The last glimpse I had of the two of them was Ned actually caught and passed Pete. Well, I have sat next to you for five years on this. Yeah, but, then, I, but I, I could probably do those bits. I couldn't do the stories, but I, that bit I could occasionally do, not consistently well. Definitely not consistently well. What I can't do is that the coming back from breaks and then setting the scene. And like when you were talking about leaden skies in the Pyrenees today and the descriptive things you put in, I was like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> yeah, but you would. That's the yeah. annoying thing you would. Anyway... Anyway, um, yeah, so it's just static, isn't it? So yeah. bunch sprints don't frighten me. They, I really enjoy them now. And But yeah. what what alarms me is just the solid state race. Well, we used to do this changes. when we did, um, you did this show, we talked about this is comment, just dropping people in 
because when commentators, any commentators get people criticize them, you say, oh, you should try it. Yeah. And it's like getting somebody to sit in front of a bunch of sprints and commentate it yeah. is pretty funny because yeah. it's, it's, it's quite difficult. But equally, you could just put them and say, actually, no, here's five Ks to go and here's one rider. Yeah. Try that. Yeah. Have a go at that. <laughs> Have a go at that one. Yeah. It's equally it's much, as hard. It's, it's very different. It's much harder. It's much so that's harder. commentary. Um, I'll tell you what is uh, not commentary, but is worth hearing. I'm going to put a specs on again. Bloody hell. Here it we was go. your birthday a couple of days ago. How old are you, Ned? Uh, 52. Um, is, uh, I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what is um, worth just recapping, because we haven't podded for so long, and apologies for that. We are busy and tired people. Um, but Jim Bridgman, who is our resident haiku um, correspondent, has very kindly, and on instruction to me, we've had a bit of email correspondence at hiwtyj at gmail.com. <laughs> Someone said I should try and learn that in the style of a American local radio station. Mm. You know, but I don't really know how that works, so I can't do it. Right. Um, uh, but anyway, he has been corresponding with Jim Bridgman. Jim has been sending me haikus, which he has very kindly recorded as well. And um, he obviously hasn't had time to do today's haiku in honor of Patrick Conrad, because it only just happened a few minutes ago. Yeah. Although, Jim, come on, you know, Pick get your act together. Um, but he has rounded up all the stages since uh, we last potted, so the middle week of the Tour de France, in a haiku style. Stage 10. The strength of the wolf is in the pack. Cav howls again. That's a lead out. Stage 11. A little fisher. Two von two will find you out. Unless you're Van Aert. Stage 12. Attack while eating. Howling tailwind tells Pollitt. Nils desperandum. Stage 13. Finally dispelled. Freed from the legend's shadow. Sprints cannibalised. The mercurial Max. The master supreme in green. Say the name now. Cav. Stage 14. Bowker never balked. With his well-known bobbing style, he won with rude ease. Stage 15. Wouts and Woods battle Nothing shifts iron grip of Tadej. Kuss kisses victory. Seems ages ago, that. Seems absolutely ages ago. But not, not as long ago as Andy Graves, who sent us... We'll move on from poetry eventually, but not before we've heard Andy Graves' poem... Um, because I want to hear that, and that recaps all the drama of week one. So we're going back in time, which is something, I'm, frankly, I'm prepared to do on our podcast because we can decide uh, the course that we set. So we are going to jump back in time and listen to what happened in week one because I'd forgotten about a lot of it, and I, were, I reckon probably you had too. Here's Andy. This is the pod about cycling. 
that never strays too far, because they're in Maidstone, watching Latour from afar. The first week is over, t'was predicted to be dull, up until the poster girl attempted Amos Cull. Who said it would be boring? Could they be in greater error? This has been more akin to a Ned Fever dream night terror. Piles of tangled machinery, interspersed with many a rider. You'd be forgiven for thinking the tour director is Zack Snyder. Van der Poel saluted Popo as the yellow jersey he claimed. Cavendish wants no mention of he who must not be named. Rog and G both impeded. Primo and Mathieu depart. While on Le Colombier, Pog ripped the GC apart. To solo victories for Bahrain, O'Connor conquers Teen. As we pause for the rest day, can anyone catch the Slovene? Thanks, Andy. Now, of course, the other big, big controversy, David, of um, of the Tour de France so far. And you tried to sucker me into it once again in the live commentary today. What did I do? You started, we saw a helicopter shot of a really rather modest dam, which I described as being modest in size and nothing in comparison to the dam. It was quite a small, it was a small dam. A barrage almost. It was almost a barrage, but it made me immediately think of, of one of your theories for dam construction is that you build lots of dams further up the river. Yep. So you're just stopping it. But then if you go deeper into that, you'd have to, you build that one dam, so you slowed it down. It's going to build up. So you've got to very quickly build the next one further down. It's going to have to be bigger. Yep. So you're doing it's like a staircase yep. of dams. Yep. And so we got into that but, conversation. Well, we've had a lot of correspondence about this, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of video content that um, I would say, to some extent at least, debunks my theory um, that, that there's just a sequence of dams in almost endless, infinite repetition <laughs> going back to the source of the river. Up to the top where there's just like a few stones. Just a tiny little, or a tiny a little beaver, teeny tiny dam. You could dam. almost have like ready-made dams that you just take out your back pocket just to kind of like, you know. Just trying to get my kids to build. Yeah, little yeah. Lego dams. <laughs> but um, anyway, Pete Kenny said something about tunnels and you sort of vaguely said stuff about sluice gates that you just thought would sound, sounded good, but you didn't really understand it, hadn't thought it through. You just thought you blind me with technology like you do whenever you talk about gear ratios. 52-23, and I'm not in any position to kind of like challenge it because I don't know what you're talking about. And you thought you could apply the same thing to, you know, um, civil engineering. So you said sluice gates, Ned. Sluice gates, sluice, I can't even say, sluice gates, Ned. And left it at that as if that was kind of like explained everything, right? Yeah. Well, we've had a lot of correspondence, um, but I'll just pick up one reply. It comes from Lauren Goodfellow, um, who sent us a, a, an audio recording, which basically excla- explains how kind of borderline, I would have to confess, I'm mostly wrong. And I'd hesitate to see you're mostly right. But Pete Kenyuk had a good point when he said tunnels. Hi, my name's Lauren. I'm a geography teacher from Derbyshire. Um, but before I became a teacher, I worked as a geologist for many years, including being part of a dam and hydro scheme project in Fiji. Uh, so I thought I'd give you my little bit of expertise on dam building. Uh, so David and Pete were both right in a way. Um, a square concrete tunnel is built first, which is called a sluice channel. And the river's then diverted through this tunnel. And the rest of the dam is built on top of that and where the river was flowing originally. Uh, Big gates called sluice gates are put on this uh, diversion tunnel, which are then closed to fill the dam when the dam's been completely built. And these gates can then be opened and closed to uh, regulate how much water's in the reservoir. I uh, hope that helps. And I'm really enjoying the pod. Thank you. Bye. 
Well, thanks, Lauren. Uh, and, and good luck with all your construction problems. I, I, problems, uh, projects. I think dams are very important. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> I think dams are very important. Oh, by the way, talk about Freudian slips. I had a dream, didn't I? Oh, yeah, you did. You didn't tell me about it. Yeah, I did. Which one? Do you remember? I said, oh, that's it. oh can we put that in? Because it's a brilliant. I'd forgotten about that. That wasn't even on the running order, but I've suddenly been reminded of it. Yeah, I had a dream. Here we go. Just woken up and I've dreamt uh, another dream about commentating David. <clears throat> I want to make a, a little voice note of it before uh, I forget it. So we were about to, we were about to commentate. It's ten minutes till we were on air and the race was about to start and you were I'd noticed that you were kind of like faffing around trying to find something by my side and you were very distracted. You'd obviously lost something. So I looked up and I said, what is it, David? And he goes, you said to me yesterday, Ned, yesterday, were you wearing, at any point, were you wearing my pink mink jumper? And I said, uh, I, don't, I don't think so, David. I honestly don't think so. I think I'd remember that. And he goes, well, I think you were. And I, I went, I honestly don't think I was. And then you said, um, because the, in the uh, pocket, like a pouch, that's where I've left my little cable. And it was one of those little cables you need actually to, uh, to get the SD card into the laptop and edit the, the podcast. And I could tell you were really cross. So I said, do you want me to go and look in the office to see if it's there? And you went, yeah. And I said, okay. So it's about 10 minutes. 10 minutes. It's 10 to 3. We were going to start commentating. Through. I ran out. I ran out. And I was running down this hill to a roundabout. Okay. And I noticed I could hear footsteps running behind me. I looked around and Pete was after me. And uh, we got to the bottom of the roundabout and Pete joined me. And he goes, I'll give you a hand. And then we had to get to get to the production office. We had to, we had to climb over this some... Um, enormous wheel of a like a paddle steamer thing it was very difficult to get over um but we did and somehow we got to the office and found this uh pink mink jumper rifled through the pockets the pouch thing couldn't find this cable and somehow ran back and um i i got i got back just in time just in time to start commentating, uh, but without the cable. All this pre-recorded content, David. I know. It's it's a lot of, yeah. um, can you remember the dream that you've just not heard? But you well, I did because I woke up and listened to it because it was like, what, seven o'clock in the morning and then didn't go back to it. Yeah. Recap. Well, I tell you what, why don't we let listeners... I literally can't remember. That was a genuine dream. I woke up, sent you that place oh, it's a brilliant, dream. you literally in About bed three or four down. days ago, 7.30 yeah. in the morning, quick before I forget it. Yeah. I sent it to you as a WhatsApp. You listened to it. I recorded it. Four days on, I can't remember the I first thing I can't remember either. It. And so, now we're just linking the show together without not actually listening to it. So why don't we ask it. listeners to, to have their own go at 
decoding it and send us yeah. an audio don't want any remember this is a podcast an yeah. audio analysis of my dream that's a great idea uh, yeah that's a great idea perfect so we'll await that with um, excitement and yeah. trepidation for now yeah um, second rest day was a bit of a washout yesterday the first rest day yeah. David can you remember that far back yeah because we podded that morning we podded very early in the morning then what did do, can you remember what you did uh, what did I do on the first rest day I've got Grand Tour amnesia. Completely falling apart, aren't we? I went into um, I went into uh, Maidstone and I went to Waterstones in Maidstone. Oh, fully intent on buying um, buying a book by Sarah Moss, which I've now finished, and I think I reviewed in the ITV Cycling Podcast as fairly modest okay. and not that enjoyable. That's fair, that's fair of you. Summer Water. I've now finished it, and it, um, I'd go. It's actually a really good book. But the One problem. Of those ones. The problem I had was that I was feeling a bit awkward about it because um, I really like Sarah Moss's book, sh- books. She's, um, she has a really restrained, very beautifully composed narrative style. Um, and she tends to write about quite aesthetic and obscure historical narratives. And they're quite moving, but it's very restrained and almost genteel writing, but has a great depth to it. Um, this book, I was horrified to, to find out, it was actually quite rude. It's got quite a rude chapter in it. Was it very... Um what was that famous Victorian author or early 20th century author that had all his books banned? Oh, you're talking about D.H. Lawrence? No, 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 no there's somebody else. Um, Can't remember. Don't know. But, yeah. I mean, Sexual. I'm afraid it was. And there's a... So... And I don't um, really agree with... I don't really agree with that. It makes... makes. I think it makes most of us quite uncomfortable. Is there anybody who relishes it, do you think? I think there's a certain category of, of, of chick lit where it's it's very acceptable and actually part of the yeah the book construction. But for me... For you, so, especially as you always pass your books on to your mother. This is the problem. So uh, for, for, I alerted my mother to Sarah Moss being a great writer um, a while ago and she's been... Me and her have been swapping Sarah Moss books um, around and uh, and I said to her, I said to my mum, I'm going to buy going to buy this book for you and I can't really have I said all this on the podcast already I don't th- maybe <laughs> or did you just tell <laughs> just it to me a horrible feeling of deja vu anyway there's no way I can send this book to my mum so I've been reminded of uh, no but, I think I just said it to you and Pete when we were sitting outside yeah. your room the but other I think, day I think your mum would would appreciate it she's she's not prude surely yeah she is okay in the nicest possible way mm. you know it, I just got reminded when I was reading it of um, appalling occasions in my teens and childhood when you're watching something on telly with your parents and you're 13 mm. or 14 and uh it starts to get rude on the telly no one enjoys that shared familial experience of rude things happening on telly do they or in the cinema or, or anywhere what's the i don't really I just maybe, maybe it, we're just a bit too um <sighs> don't know british yeah maybe. but anyway i got through i got through the traumatic chapter and I ploughed on with the book. And actually, in the end, when the big thing happens at the end, I can't possibly say what it is. Um, it's good. It's a really good denouement. And you go, blimey, okay. And then the, the, the story kind of closes. And then I closed my book. I finished it last night, actually. I closed the book. And I thought... And, I, and then I just reflected on it for 10 minutes, just sitting there on my bed. Which bit did you reflect upon? I can't really tell you without it being a spoiler. Okay. But it's one of those books that has lots of different characters all living a kind of synchronous narrative and then mm, the stories sort of match good. up patch in a patchwork fashion quite beautifully 
But I thought about it and I thought, actually, Sarah Moss has delivered another absolute masterpiece there because, well, I can't really say without it being a spoiler, but I actually linked all sorts of dots together and thought what she's saying, she's talking about the entire progression of a female life from senility in old age, uh, rewinding right the way back to early infancy and being a toddler. And, and a lot of the female characters in this book, Summer Water, are, I think, the same person but seen through a, um, a kind of kaleidoscope and refracted light. And I think it's quite beautiful. And I think she's a great writer. Could have done without the rude bit, but with hindsight, maybe that's quite important as well. Well, that's very good. Yeah. But at the same time, when I went to Waterstones, I bought another book, David. Um, I bought Ghost Stories of Kent. Oh, yeah. How was that? Well, really badly written, incredibly yep. boring, just a succession of, you know, mysterious noises that can be heard here and there um, and, un, you know, unsubstantiated sightings of various decapitated people wandering around various stately homes. Right. Standard. Mm -hmm. yep. Standard. Until I got to Leeds Castle. Ah. This will, this will interest you, right? Leeds Castle is said to be haunted by a ghostly black dog. Mm. Now. Oh. Now. Ooh. You know my feelings about dogs? Oh. Yeah? You've got a, you've got a ghostly... Well, it's not really ghostly, your dog. It's just it's very affectionate. It's the least ghostly dog in the world. Yeah. A bit overly affectionate? Yeah. It's too much but to give. me and dogs, that, that history is well sort of documented, isn't it? Um, I didn't know at the time that Leeds Castle is famously haunted by a ghostly black dog whose appearances often presage bad luck or even death for its occupants. What are you thinking? Thinking what happened to me on the final day of last year's Tour de France and that's, I smashed my arm in the moat of Leeds what, Castle. That's what I'm thinking. That's what I'm thinking too. The origins of the black dog are said to lie in the demonic dabbling of Henry VI's aunt, Eleanor of Gloucester, who in 1431 was found guilty of practising necromancy, witchcraft, heresy and treason, and was imprisoned at Leeds Castle or for let, life. Or let's just accused of that. No, found guilty. Not accused. Found but, guilty, David. There was, must have been great evidence in okay. favour of her necromancy, witchcraft, heresy and treason. And she was imprisoned, quite rightly in my opinion, in Leeds Castle for life. And uh, it says here, perhaps the hound results from some ancient spell which was cast by this formidable lady... And has lingered around the property ever since. You didn't see any random shadows or anything before your crash? I, all I could see was shadows. <laughs> random shadows. Oh, I wish you'd seen a yeah. shimmering of a, a ghostly black dog. Yeah. And in your absolute fear of but, them, you chose the, the ditch rather than the, the dog. confrontation. That might have been it. Jeez. That might have been it. Maybe he was guarding. Maybe he's invisible. But then, but then what was... Because we're so half-witted, we didn't look into this last year. Is that they have a museum in Leeds Castle of the dedicated dog, to dog, dog collars. collars. Dog collars. That's because of the whole history of this huge black hound that stalks the ground, looking primarily for cyclists and throwing them into the, the moat. There you go. Amazing. It's taken me a year mm. to figure out what happened to me. We've had some good guests on this. Uh, oh. We had your mate. On. We had your mate. Had my mate, John Tarode. Yeah. Yeah, he's lovely. Yeah. 
who I'd not heard of until you said who he was. And, and then, then I went, oh, knew. well, I know, oh, yeah. I know he was. Not the bald one. He's not the bald one, is what you said. <laughs> um, well, MasterChef and- became a program that me and the family watched a little bit during lockdown mm. as a kind of escape. And it yeah. was a great escape, actually. Yeah. And he's really cool, isn't he, John? Because oh, he's just amazing. Just Mark Wallace, man. the bald one, yeah. does all the kind of slightly shouty stuff. He's not so cool. Well, yeah, he does slightly. He's kind of the lead, isn't he, really? Yeah. Is he? Yeah, I think, well, in some ways, he's the one who goes, right. He's the commentator got, and he's the, yeah, um, John throws the colour. He's the expert colour. Yeah. Got you. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. And, but he why, left but us. Why did he, he came down and he's just cycling. He's a, and, and, cycling. And, and we've hung out a couple of times and we've done, uh, we chatted just before the Tour de France. So I said, do you want to come down? He's like, yeah, I'd love to come down. And he left us a couple of his uh, prototype new sauces that he's doing with his new brand. Which is a kind of smoked barbecue sauce. Very nice. A bit of a chilli kick yeah, to it. It's, kind of, it's giving life to our ITV canteen. Because there, is a, there is a canteen down here where we gobble some lunch down while Matt and mm. Pete mm. and Chris take over for a while. But um, unfortunately, the canteen appears to be populated by staff who've never cooked a meal. Never. And also, it's been a year since we were last here, a little bit less. And the menu is on a, a piece of A4 paper, and it is unchanged. And it's you made think- up of sandwiches and some and chips and chicken goujons and... Nothing wrong with that. Falafel and chips. Something wrong with that. <laughs> and something else with chips. Yeah, yeah a special a day that is the most, un- and you get super excited about a special of the day, and then it's just it's incredibly underwhelming. Underwhelming, mm. but not if you've got John Torres. No, so you Jay. think you think as a kind of with your business head on mm. that they should have widened or refreshed their product range a year on? I think they should have done. Has I Chapter Three done that, David? Chapter Three has done that actually. Right, we tell us a bit about refreshed. it because I've, I've suddenly remembered I've got a message to yeah. say. Uh, yeah. Chapter Three has. Uh, we started designing and uh, developing manufacturing all our own apparel and it's the best we've ever made our shorts are even my wife was writing in them today first time she's writing in the actual final production that everyone can buy off chapter3.com and she is an aficionado and says they're the best cycling shorts she's ever ridden in our grand tour cycle shorts and so we're really proud and we're doing it and it's just trying to convince people that they're that good because We've made them a little bit cheaper than the competition um, regards uh, regards the price, and yet they're better than the competition. So it's a little bit of a, a weird one, because I think that, oddly, that plays with people's heads. Um, but Plays with mine. Plays with yours, yeah. It plays yeah. with everybody's heads. But right. yeah, no, no, we're, we're good, and I think it's we've done exactly that, because you have to keep moving forward. Iterations, and I think that's what the canteen needs to do here. They need to do what we're doing at Chapter 3, which is making better products, at a, a, a better price and with a better brand. And we're slowly getting towards that. And we would love more people to come and check it out because it takes a long time to convince people that you're doing something so well. And I said to my people, I said, uh, hi, Harry, recording a pod today for release tonight. Any messaging you want me to include? I'm just literally reading this off the WhatsApp Perfect. group, right? And Harry said, yeah, if you could just add into your intro. I, haven't, I forgot to do it in the intro, so I'm doing it now. <coughs> quote to receive the audiobook that is how Cav won the Cav won the yellow jersey straight to your inbox follow the link in the show notes yep. and then he says the only other thing would be to mention that f- they're just five days until the 15% discount across all robot products ends and any purchase with the code will receive a complimentary roadbook musette don't know what the code is mm. uh, well put it, <laughs> put it in, in the, the show notes, notes. put it in the show notes but, uh, and I'll do the same for chapter right. 3 we'll put click on here for chapter 3 click on here for the yeah. roadbook and within that that will give you all the instructions you need to to have a joyous experience now 
the other guest we had on the day before John Tarot was Alexi Sale. And I think, I think we probably can say with a degree of confidence it's the first time that a Marxist stand-up comedian mm. has uh, contributed to live Tour de France coverage in this country at least. I can't vouch for... Maybe it's happened in France. It might have happened in France, actually, to be fair. Mm, I don't doubt mm. it. But it certainly happened here when he came and joined us. And um, after we made him talk for about an hour here in our commentary booth, which is where we're recording this podcast today, we then took him outside in the car park and made him talk again but differently for us. Just for us. Just for you, actually. Just for you, dear listener. And this is our Alexi Sale bit. So we're sitting here at Maidstone Studios in between, um, well, what stage is it? 12, David. 12, 12. And um, Come on, keep up. we have a guest here. Yeah, well, we've done, if you, if you watched the IT Live coverage earlier on today, you would have been perhaps surprised to hear another, our tri- the final um, of our triptych down the years of British stand-up comedians bringing, but I always feel a bit strange describing you as a stand-up comedian, Alex, yourself, because wow. you're a lot more than that, aren't you? It's very kind of you to say so. Um, <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, you could say it's kind of crap at everything that means, really. I, I think it's a failure to concentrate. You could. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a positive, but certainly I have. I failed to kind of stick to anything, really. So yeah, I've, I have had a, a varied career, yeah, which I feel ambiguous about sometimes. Yeah, well, you added another line to your Wikipedia page today, oh, yeah. didn't you? Tour de France commentator. Alexi Sale. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I was uh, well. I was, I was very impressed. I, I didn't know, you know, it, it makes no sense at all, really, what how you do it, really. So I was very impressed. But at, at the same, you know, also I have a, I have um, a kind of ridiculous sense of confidence, really. So I, you know, I would, I would, <laughs> I would also try. Like I do martial arts, you know, Chinese martial arts, and I'm really. Um, I think I'm really bad, but I see like a big bloke in a pub and I think, yeah, I could have you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it's completely delusional. I'm looking at some bloke, you know, six foot five, I'm like, you know, 20 years old. I'm like, yeah, come on, you want some? <laughs> so, you know, I think I could do your job as well, really. <laughs> You've just proven that. <laughs> you pulled a nice little trick when he was commentating with us with Seb PK, didn't you? Oh, uh, yeah, Seb PK, who's Race Radio. So I messaged Seb, who's a friend, and asked Seb to to say hello to Alexi. Well, I said, Alexi sails here in, in commentary and I'm just about to turn up race radio. And so he put on the whole caravan, hello to Alexi Sale, uh, which is pretty amazing. I love but, that. But the problem was as well, we hadn't turned it up the first time. No. So we had to do it twice. Yeah. <laughs> I was just confused with suddenly some French guy was shouting Alexi Sale in my ear. Uh, so, I love the know. idea of all the team cars in the convoy, you know, with the Belgian director sportive like you know <laughs> listening for important information on race radio hello to alexi sir who the fuck is that huh? is this guy this is yeah who is this guy ah <laughs> uh, well you know how um alexi because i need to i haven't watched your youtube videos that's, that's how you right. you guys hung out isn't yeah. it so what's your connection to cycling well, basically, it is several things, really. I mean, I, I've always cycled since I was about 12 or something. And I suppose I've always, um, uh, you know, I mean, I always, when I was younger, obviously, I always used to try and go fast. I mean, I never really, I never raced or anything, but I always tried to buy kind of fairly high-end 
clobber, you know. And there was that. It's hard for young people, particularly, to know, you know, like if you um, if you were a cyclist in the eighties, you know, you were like you just one up above a homeless guy, you know, somebody in a like in a dumpster looking for food because it was so out of fashion cycling that people thought you were just insane. So. Which I liked, really. I kind of liked that. So uh, yeah, I used to buy, you know, I used to ch- try and buy hand hand built bikes and all that stuff, and just also to get around, so, uh, you know. And I used to do so when I was first starting as a stand up, I would cycle between gigs, you know, and I'd have maybe three or four gigs a night, you know, and they'd be like that last one would be at three in the morning, in, you know, Lewisham or something, and I'd race, I'd have like eight pints, and then <laughs> and then cycle, try and break my record from getting back from Deptford and stuff, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, just uh, which ended quite badly a few times. Um, so yeah, so I, I, and that, and then when the I think it, I can't remember, but when the when they started showing the Tour de France on uh, on Channel Four, as soon as I saw it, I just thought this this is this is the sport for me. You know, this is the thing I want to watch. Really, I mean, every year. What is it you kind of draws you to the Tour de France? Because being somebody who's watched it since the beginning on Channel Four, which we've, we're not sure, eighty six. I think so. Eighty six. I think it's eighty six. Eighty six, and that's the same production crew that's here now, still with Brian. What was the Eno Le Monde the year? That was 86. 86. Yeah. Um, what drew it, drew you to it? Because obviously it's become, as you said, it's become fashionable now. And it's, but it was a cult sport back then. Yeah, I think it was part of that. Cause I remember I was talking to Ned about this on that blog that we did. But, Cause the, the other thing that Channel 4 did at the same time was sumo. And, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I used to really like that as well. They only did it for two seasons and it was, but I, I really got into sumo and I remember all the, all the Yokozuna. I still remember all the names, like all the different, uh, like the uh, Yokozuna and stuff, the, the levels of champions. And I remember it was Konishiki, the dump truck was a Hawaiian and there was <laughs> Chiana Fuji, the wolf and stuff. So I, I, some reason I can't remember, you know, where I was yesterday, but I can remember somebody who won a sumo. Anyway, um, but, so I suppose I liked the rarefied thing about it, um, that it, was, it wasn't, you know, football or God help us rugby or something. Um, uh, so I liked that. But also, I mean, it is, I mean, it, it, if you can get into it, and it is, I suppose it's, it de- requires a degree of kind of commitment, but it is the greatest, I mean, particularly the Tour de France. I mean, I, I try and watch the Welter or the, the Giro as well, but really the Tour de France, the Tour de France is the is the one. It's just the greatest sporting contest in the world. I mean, I'm not saying anything new here, but, but it yeah. rewards a bit of patience, doesn't it? It rewards a slow. You know, you don't you don't come to it and instantly understand it. It takes a while. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. It took me took me years <laughs> to you know commentating along this uh, alongside this guy. It's taken me years to understand what I'm talking about. I think that's absolutely true, but you feel a tremendous sense of kind of reward when you do. Exactly. You start to, you know, you start to see the patterns. You start to see, um, you know, the, the you know the peloton forming, or the, you know, you start to see the alliances in the mm. in in the bunch, and um, yeah, so that, and then you and you understand, you just understanding the how you win and stuff, just understanding the. The mountain jersey, the green jersey. I mean, that's a that's a kind of commitment. That's a that's a kind of GCSE in itself, really, isn't it? You know, Ned suffers with the maths involved to keep up. Um, yeah, maths is yeah, it's hard. Live maths. But um, and we were talking about this yesterday, Ned and I. What's and 
there's also beyond it's the only sporting event in the world where well, it's a couple of hundred people on on the pitch right. in play yeah. right. and that's yeah. 200 different stories yeah you know and that's what's kind of magical about it as well you can disappear and then you, you've got the the culture and the geography around it so you, there's constant tangents kind of that you can do which no other sport has yeah and it's also it's the cruelty i mean i was gonna when we were doing the commentary before but i mean the, but also the i mean it was like those it's people come and they're gonna be like it was those two brothers from uh, Luxembourg. Was it the Schlecks? The Schlecks were going to be like yeah, big, generation. yeah, and they're gone. You know, I mean, which is immensely cruel. You know that they're whatever. I don't know what's happened to them, but uh, Andy, Andy, Andy runs a bike shop runs and bike he's shop. quite portly. Yeah, he is. He's like yeah. a skinny fat guy. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's you're right, cause Primoz Roglic. Look at him after the cruelty of last year's Tour de France, where he lost it in that final time trial. Yeah. Like, completely unexpected bases his whole year around this race and then crashes yeah. on the first day it's i mean it's immense i think the suffer i mean which is you know you do you, you, you yeah like you say the drought there and there's there's 200 stories going on there's the um you know there's obviously the domestiques that are going through it's never really articulated is it but they're going through their own battles you know their own struggles with 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 you know ambition and training and stuff yeah. I mean that's just extraordinary I think with, you know with your kind of well because I listened to your Desert Island Discs a while ago so my wife was still and told me I to listen to I haven't heard it yet what, oh, was the, what were great. the music choices like? oh, it was very Russian and very um, <laughs> it was pretty hardcore it was amazing because it was just I'd never heard any of that stuff before but it was kind of it was almost listening like listening to an Eastern Bloc propaganda show <laughs> hey what, <laughs> was, it was, what was on it because when I edit this I'll, I'll drift some of it uh, in, in yeah, a kind well of it was uh, it was, well, it starts with uh, the, the King of Tango, Carlos Gardel, from the 1930s. Got a song called Valverde. Then, um, um, uh, Parrot Jenny's from Thripney Opera, Lottie Lenya. Oh, yeah. Then uh, I say it's um, because it because the island, I'll be on it, and so it, I'm a socialist, and therefore it'll be de facto a, a socialist republic, so it needs an anthem. Yeah. So I chose the, um, uh, the battle hymn of the Soviet Air Force. <laughs> also known as the Aviators March. No, that's the no, that's the that's the that's the that's 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 uh, that's about the going, going to that because that's what we were yeah. talking about when we were doing commentary. Was there attraction to you the fact that cycling is quite a working class sport? It certainly was back then, and and that that is the history of the sport is that it's it's very much peasants kind of that get into it, well, especially in France, well, right, and Italy, Georgia. indeed. Yeah, yeah. Ottavio Battaglia was yeah. poor. He's an Italian rider who won the Tour de France in 1925 he's called he's the first Italian to win the Tour de France Ottavio Botecchia yeah. and he was called Ottavio which means number 8 yeah. is the 8 because they, they oh, come right. from a peasant yeah, family they run out of names yeah. name, so yeah. what should we call him just 8 <laughs> uh, yeah I think so I think well you know that. Car, I used to do a bit of uh, 
I mean, it's, it has changed now. It's got a bit more. I used to do a bit of stand-up, which was about how, like, in the 70s and 80s, all comedians were working class, and then all these kind of middle-class actors. You know, like the, st- the movie stars of the 60s, British, we were all working class, Albert Finney. Tom, uh, Tom Courtney and stuff, Michael Caine. And then all the stars of the sort of 2000s are all eaten educated, you know, like, um, Cumberbatch and, uh, Eddie Redmayne. But I was, I always thought, um, you know, when they get into boxing, that'll be when I really, when the, when the middle classes <laughs> discover, you know, brain damage, getting your head punched repeatedly for, entertainment. for entertainment, for the entertainment of hooligans, uh, then, then I'll be convinced. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I think you can see that that that, that level of suffering really it, it requires a tremendous impetus, you know. What are your? Because um, we can link. We'll link to the show notes. Yeah. The um, your YouTube videos. What was the motivation behind those, and what are they? Um, oh, well, great, David. <laughs> well, they, they take Milton Keynes. Oh, well, Milton Keynes. I've seen but... Milton Keynes is brilliant. <laughs> we got three rides out of that. Um, <laughs> we. It's well, it's it's a it's a couple of I mean lockdown partly really did uh, so I, I but also uh, you know because I'm I'm old, I'm sixty I'm nearly sixty nine, um, but I, I I met this young man who's sort of you know internet savvy so he's he's my kind of sidekick and he enables so anyway so I do a podcast which is you know fairly conventional. But then it was his idea. He said, well, because I arrived for our first meeting on my bike. So he said, well, let's do some bike rides as well. So basically what we do is you fit a GoPro camera to the handlebars and then another one up on my face. And then I just ride off talking, really. Mm-hmm. So I just, and I go around London and then we've just done our first out of town one, which is Milton Keynes. I do no preparation. I don't know where I'm going. It's great. It's great. Yeah, it's really like. <laughs> I, I, I love. I can't remember which one. It was one of your London rides where you go. Um, here's the thing about riding: is um, it's great. It's great fun to do when you're a little bit drunk. Yeah. That's always. I it's like that. the closest to flying. I think cycling drunk <laughs> is the closest a human being comes to flying. <laughs> a wonderful, a wonderful experience. But only a little bit. Obviously, not not paralytic because that's <laughs> that's terrible. Um, yeah, so they're just basically, they're just me riding around places talking about what comes, you know, and sometimes I do say, oh, look, a dog, you know, it, it gets that banal, really, but there is something. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I say, I think Milton Keynes, I say, look, a goose. <laughs> so it's basically your internal monologue, just Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it is, it's exactly. Like on bike rides, you're always having internal monologues. Yeah. They're constantly talking to yourself. Yeah. It's strange. I've yeah. thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's, you know, partly you have to have, like, situational yeah. awareness, but, it, yeah, it's, it's, you just, you're, you, it, it, it is an intense kind of thinking, I think, you have on a bike ride. Uh, so, yeah, and they're just, that kind of wide-angle lens is just, it is a lot of people say they watch it because it's just therapeutic really it's just meditative because i think there are i don't know but there are you know there are videos other bike videos on youtube but they're just people going fast you know and showing off really and this is very much not that so yeah they're, they're popular i know chris chris boardman's a fan as well isn't he yeah he is yeah so yeah you know and they're they're um the only thing you know, i mean i the only thing about I've talked about this on the back. You know, the only thing I have, because I come from a tradition of like 
show business. You know, where when I used to make like my TV series, I'd get paid a load of money. There'd be hundreds of people working on it. It'd be on one of only four channels. And it's like, you know, that's, that's my world, really. And then when the first time I had a meeting with some people about doing a podcast, I'm like, okay, great. All right. How much do I get paid? And they're like, no, you pay you us. Pay yeah. I'm, you have to pay for it. <laughs> I'm like, it's taken me such a long time to get my head around that. It chimes with us a little bit, doesn't it? Dave? <laughs> we sponsor ourselves. Yeah. We, so, yeah. <laughs> we, we do. We've latched onto, we've decided our podcast needs a bit of sponsorship. So we've latched onto Melinda Apples, who make, um, they grow apples in northern Italy in the Trentino region. And we've decided we quite like them as a sponsor. So we're just giving them free. We're just, just mentioning oh, them all the time. Yeah, they don't know. They don't know. They've got no idea that Melinda. Linda Apples are getting so many men. We just thought they'd be a nice sponsor. That's brilliant. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. But yeah. yeah. They but could sponsor your podcast too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. Yeah, we could. We can cross sponsor. Yeah. That's what we're doing. That's the business model. But it is, you think, and not only am I not getting paid for this, but I'm, I'm, I'm paying to yeah. give my shit away for nothing. Exactly. I'm giving this shit away. And people get like really annoyed with you. You know, and like, I was just one comment I was looking on because my, my, my new podcast mostly about me talking about ammunition. And somebody says, uh, you know, I didn't subscribe for this. And then he puts unsubscribe. I'm like, I'm fucking, fuck you. you know? <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm giving you this. Fuck off. We are unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. <laughs> Dave Streeting. Is that really his name? I think it might be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Named. (laughs) Street. I'm giving you this shit. Oh, yeah. yeah, podcasting. So, yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the way, you know. But you, I mean, you have to. I mean, I, I I mean, I think there's this. I guess there's there's something else in it. Well, I think, enjoy it. I mean, it's great. Yeah, I'd love it. And also, yeah. when you bring a microphone out, you have different conversations that you yeah. wouldn't have. It's true. You know, yeah. you wouldn't you engage more because you know it's it's gonna it's real. I'm going to knit back in because I yeah. think the bike yeah, rest is happening, so um, I probably need to uh, concentrate my day job a little bit. So, um, yeah. Don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon they're going fast. I reckon, yeah. so I need to go and have a look yeah, and see what's happening yeah. in the bike rest. Yeah. Yeah. DM wearing. Um, DM wearing. Very tight fit. What I didn't say to Alexi and what I kind of wanted to say to him, David, was that. When I was a kid watching The Young Ones, and he had that terrifying character, the, the landlord, Jersey, what's his name? DM wearing a very tight-fitting suit. Yeah, Jersey someone. I never understood that character. I was terrified of him, absolutely terrified of him, because he just, why is he shouting so much? Um, but now I get Alexi. And then, on Saturday night, uh, was it Saturday night? I was watching, I wanted to watch the news, and I watched... So I caught the fag end of Casualty on the BBC and uh, Alexei's there playing his homophobic Eastern European Russian father. What what are you doing here? What? A man can't come and visit his son and grandchildren? And and his character's only just because I watched Casualty next week and there's more more Alexei Sale marvellousness. The mad people, the interesting people that are into cycling. It's, um, it kind of is, we always think of it as a cult sport, and it, it is, even though it's, it's kind of globally known. But the kind of the, the concentrated amount of interesting people so interesting. that are fans of cycling is just off the grid. We could launch a campaign here um, amongst our listeners who are on Twitter 
to ask Dara O'Brien to join us. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Dara's been a fan for years of of the Tour de France. And um, I was, I remember 10 years ago when I came, when How I Won the Yellow Jumper came out, he didn't, he wasn't sent a review copy or anything because no one knew he was into it. Um, He just bought it off the shelf and posted something absolutely lovely about it. Um, And I was blown away. So he's a big fan. Yeah. So even with Alexi Sales, I've read your book. And you're like, Alexi Sales read my book. It's mad, isn't it? It is mad. Yeah. And there's also Grayson Perry would be great to get as well. Grayson Perry would be good. Quite well known that he's a cycling fan. Dara Mm. O'Brien, perhaps less well known. So So, um, let's go through alternatives. Love bomb him. Yeah. On Twitter and t- yeah. tell him to come and join us on, on the pod or, or mm. on the commentary or both. <laughs> we can literally explain. Alexi Sale got a bag of crisps. This is what yeah. we can offer Dara. Mm. A bag of crisps. I think Alexi had a chicken burger and chips. And that Jim- was before he even had John Tarot's sauce. No, no, no Mr. J's sauce. Yeah. And uh, a ginger beer. And a ginger beer. <laughs> That's how we roll. Yeah. Um, and just finally, and this kind of hooks back, David, a little bit, doesn't it, to Nevestre's Farfalle. Mm. Um, when we were sitting outside your room, feels like about three months ago, just chewing mm. the cud with Pete, mm. um, we started to explain to Pete. Oh, we went into, um, what it was quantum theory and also it's a little bit of philosophy and physics yeah. and some maths mixed in Yeah, and it's called the butterfly effect. Okay. So, so then you whipped out your recorder because you said, this is great. So we'll have a bit of this conversation in the pod and we'll do that. We'll do that. And then off the back of it, we'll just do a little bit about the Tour de France. (laughs) (laughs) So we're just sitting outside on the rest day and um, just had fish and chips. And Pete's about to explain butterfly effect to Ned. Well, shall we begin with why we're on the topic of the butterfly effect? Yeah. We were just talking about Ned's horrific accident last year on the final stage of the Tour de France. I'll let you take it from here, Ned, and then I'll punch in when when needed. Well, it was a, we, we all know what happened, but just, just yeah, I broke so broken shoulder day mm-hmm. when I rode into a ditch in the dark. Um, we were we were there was a whole we were retracing the kind of sequence of events that led up to that, and the various decisions I could have made or you could have made that could have happened well, differently. We were discussing what me and David were doing on that night, and we were saying, you know this is getting back to the butterfly effect. If Ned was with us, what would have happened? One scenario was we all would all, we would have all rode back in the dark, all been on Ned's wheel, all ended up in the ditch on top of Ned. (laughs) (laughs) Like mass violence, okay? (laughs) It's worth pointing out that this was probably the most sensible decision that me and you, David, have ever made in our lives. That on that particular night that Ned crashed in the door, we actually got a taxi back, which is what Ned would have usually advised us to do (laughs) okay so going back to the butterfly effect i then said to ned so yeah we're already on this topic you know all these different circumstances and outcomes could have potentially happened for ned maybe he would have broke his broke his shoulder still maybe he wouldn't have but then the origin the origins of my broken shoulder actually we traced them right back to 20 well not even 2013 because the decision to hold the Champs Elysees stage in the evening for the first time, hence it was dark. Just, just, to, say, what, 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 yeah, just to explain that the crash happened because it was the last stage of the Tour de France when we were doing commentary here, and so it was late in the evening when we finished. And yeah. it was the first time it suddenly got dark, so we hadn't had to cope with darkness before. <laughs> so this is where the butterfly effect... This is, the, this is where the chain mm-hmm. of events... There has to be a starting point, and we've pinpointed it. And Ned, go on. It's Christian Prudhomme and ASO. 
uh, their decision to, to, to shift the Champs-Élysées stage back to the evening landed me in a ditch. But then, that is the, other examples of butterfly effect? Well, then I, I, I came to think, butterfly effect. I am fascinated by it because there's so many outcomes where I wouldn't be sat here now without the butterfly chain of events effect on my life. Do you know where the origin butterfly effect comes from? No. I think it's something to do with the butterfly flaps at wings here. It could cause a storm in China. Is it just that's a nice? Is this kind of the, the anecdotal sort of one little thing can then trigger a sequence of events that can go on yeah. ad infinitum, essentially. So you think about every kind of decision in our lives that we've made up until this point has arrived. All three of us sat at this table right now as an outcome. But there are so many other outcomes that could have happened where only a little, like a slight different decision made by each one of us could have affected that where we wouldn't be here now. Fact. And just to complicate matters further, there's the multiverse concept. No, so that's where it gets really. So the multiverse means that every, so every flapping of butterfly wings, the, the sequence of events that then that triggers, each one of those events could be different. But it's saying that they do go on in this universe, but there's a parallel universe where each one of those sequences is different, but they're all happening at the same time. But how, how does that flap of the wings affect the parallel universe? Well, the idea being that we exist I- I- infinite. There's an infinite set of universes, and we exist an infinite amount of times and every single event you've every single decision you've made in your life is happening somewhere else and you there's a different decision being made at the same time yeah by who well that's the point you (laughs) in a different universe so it's the multiverse so it's 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 always happening somewhere and every single thing you do is happening the same thing, but slightly differently everywhere, and even the same things happening again somewhere else. It's just ad, just always happening with with me somewhere else or someone else. So, well, you could be, for example, in an, in another universe, you could still be racing. In another universe, you might not have ever started, got into cycling, and turned pro. Another one, you might have become a postman. Another one, you might have gone and been a DJ. The, the that ha- that's happening everywhere at the same time. That's the multiverse. And where does this idea originate from? That there's a multiverse and a parallel universe? I think it's uh, quantum physics. Jesus. Well, isn't it? Isn't it um, string theory and all that jazz? Yeah, and also Schrodinger's cat. Yeah. Isn't it? I think so. The cat. I can't. No. Schrodinger's cat exists in two places at the same time. So it's like a. So that. It's a dual universe. Yeah. But to take it back, you took the job at ITV. There could have been so many outcomes where that just didn't happen. happen. I'm only 32, I could be still cycling. So many outcomes where I could have still been cycling, but I'm not, through my own decisions and choices throughout life. Ned, I'm not... Go on, give us a bit of your backstory. I'll give you a a simple example, which is really easy for us to understand. If we're in a peloton and a crash happens, and because you'd just gone back to get a bottle or you'd gone to make a decision, you came back and you got caught up in that crash. But you hesitated to make that decision to go back and find yourself in that place where the crash happened and the sequence of events that that led to. But there's another universe where you decided not to go back and get that bottle. I I get that, and I get that there's another universe, but I actually don't believe it. Uh, I I really am not. I don't believe that. But I get the butterfly effect. 
it's it's true because in your own life you can easily make in a split second decision a different one mm. um but for for ned i'm wondering about what sequence of events led him here as opposed to us two mm-hmm. i'll be quite interested uh what was the, what was the one flapping of the wings yeah. that led you here that's a very good question. I, I, I'm thinking back at the sequence of events. Um, it was probably... Oh, there's so many. I'm thinking it might, might, might have been you shipping your chain in the, in the prologue in 2003 because I just thought that was some, such a dramatic turn. of at instant, My first tour, it instantly amazed me and stunned me what was going on. And it was pretty dramatic from our perspective following your story. That was a good story. Thank you very much. Well, and that's and, fate, isn't it? If there ever was one. If there then, ever was one. And then if I had then stood my ground and put a front mech on my bike, my chain wouldn't have shipped off. Exactly. And then so would that's, Ned be here now? Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been such an interesting no. story. No. <laughs> so I might, have not, I might not have been so sold on the Tour de France from the instant I, I encountered it. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Butterfly effect. Explained. Front mechs. <laughs> Um, so that's Pete. That's the butterfly theory. It's a multiverse. Yep, it's uh, kind of opens up that possibility or the, the concept. So there's a lots of in lots of multiverses. But you know what? The Afterwards, I went and looked up, looked it all up, and I was right. So they said you flap your wings, you change the weather in China. The whole why is it always China? Well, it's just it's incredibly far away, so okay. it kind of gives it more gravitas. Right. But the, the idea being that it could change a weather system. Yeah. It could, uh, uh, the flapping of butterfly wings could create a tornado. Yeah. And that's kind of life. Yeah. Whatever decision you make could go off yeah. into a direction you'd never imagine. Yeah. And that's, that's the philosoph- philosophical kind of concept of the butterfly effect. There was, I was so tempted. I think it was on Sunday in the commentary I noticed um, that a butterfly is a really, um, the sun was out on the shot and there was a kind of very foreshortened shot and you could see a rider in the blurry distance and a butterfly just, kept, did you notice that? No. A, a little white butterfly just kind of fluttered around for a while in the foreground and I was so close to sort of dropping in a very subtle reference to our pod, oh. but I thought I might get in trouble yeah, by we doing yeah, it. So. We, we want to avoid yeah. getting in but trouble. But that's a nice segue back to the Tour de France. Yeah, that was a really good segue about Tour de France actually. Is there anything to say about it? Uh, Mark Cavendish has equaled Eddie Merckx's record. Has he? Yep, he did that. Yeah, we can we can mention he's his looking, name now. Old Voldemort. It, he's looking very very comfortable in the Pyrenees, isn't it? That's yeah. And they're just and the butterfly effect is happening here. The sprinters are just dropping off. This is like a, a random narrative that was supposed to happen in another universe, not yeah. this. Yeah, where they're just dropping like flies. Yeah, and one by one. And his team is getting stronger. He's looking better than he's ever looked in the mountains. I don't know. It's um, it's it's amazing. He's he's taking control of. He's flapping his own wings. Mark Cavendish is flapping his own wings. Um, well, that's probably about it. That's it, it, really, isn't it? That's it. Is a bit lame. I apologise. We can't hit the heights, but this, uh, we've done a lot of talking. Stage seventeen tomorrow. Could make a random promise about doing another pod before the end of the tour. It would be rash. It would be rash. We can't rule it out. Oh, we could Sunday morning because we've got such a slow, because we've got to wait all bloody let's day. Do, let's do a pod on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, the final pod of Never Strays France. That's a great idea. Boom. Oh, uh, you've locked us into a promise now. Well, we have Mind to. You, we I, I, leave, I leave on Sunday evening. You leave on Sunday to. evening? Yeah. So, so we have to. Yeah. All right. Sunday morning. 
done. I was going to say, see you there. That's ridiculous. I'll see you back here very I'll soon. I'll see you in about right, in fact, right now for about the next <laughs> Good to the week. ITV podcast in about 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, God. Won't be as good as this. 